The Apostle Paul wrote that a man reaps what he sows. You may have seen this principle play out in relationships. A father invests in their rebellious teenager and later enjoyed a lifelong friendship in adulthood. A couple who built into their marriage enjoying sweet retirement years. Those who cultivated meaningful relationships in their local church experience genuine fellowship. But how can an investment in our relationship with God make a difference? How does a wholesale commitment to the Lord make a significant difference in our relationship with Him? Listen in as Kent, Vicki, and Nathan discuss one of the most powerful and painfully true stories in all of Scripture. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the book of Genesis. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Genesis chapters 18 and 19 as we join their discussion. Everybody's life has pivot points critical moments when decisions are made that determine the direction and obviously the outcome of people's lives. Nathan, Vicki, when you look back, have you made decisions that proved to be pivotal? Would you mind sharing some of them? Kent, I think about that question so much. I I say this so often. My dad used to say, but my dad used to say, We make decisions and those decisions turn around and make us. And I think about that all Mm -hmm. the time. And we don't know what those decisions are going to be. Mm -hmm. I think, for example, when I was in high school, I was accepted to go to a prestigious Christian college. And I was such a wuss, I didn't go. because I was afraid I wouldn't like my roommate or she wouldn't like me. And so I didn't go. And as it turned out, I didn't marry a guy there. Mm. I mean, an unknown guy there, but I assume I would have married maybe a guy there and I didn't. Mm. Um, So, you know, who knows how my life would have turned out if had I gone there. I went into television and I learned how to well, I was, a, I was a wuss then. So I go into television. I'm not afraid to talk to anybody now. I mean, anybody now, anybody. Um, that It changed me. I learned how to edit. To this day, it has changed me. Decisions are amazing, and you never know what decisions are going to change you or how. Oh, you're That's right. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I know I had, when I was going, I finished up college, I had started to make some inroads into doing uh, theatrical work. I wanted to be a writer. And I'd had a few stage plays done here and there in very small, uh, small arenas. And, uh, but I really, I really, really wanted to get a TV show. I wanted to write for a TV show and I wanted to get so good that I could have a series of my own. So there was a Christian organization that, uh, would accept writers and, uh, and I applied to it kind of late out in California. And I thought, well, I, you know, I I can do the theater stuff, but I don't want to do that. You know, so I didn't really care about my connections there. And I decided I was going to apply to this program and my wife, my not at that time wife, but soon-to-be wife had said, well, you should probably go to seminary too, because her and everyone else is like, you should be a pastor. And I was fighting that tooth and nail. 
And so I was like, all right, fine. I'll just throw that out there on the side. And so uh, lo and behold, I did not get into the program. Uh, but I did get into seminary. So, so, so I started working that and I, I really, I didn't like burn the bridges, uh, by being mean, but I burned all the bridges for the theater world, uh, just by saying, Oh, no, I'm not going to work on that project because I want to go for TV. Uh, and so, and so in retrospect, I'm like, man, theater is better than television now in my perspective. I wish I, if I could have stayed, if I could have, uh, honed some of those relationships I had, uh, I, I, I could have gone somewhere else. And, uh, but, now I'm a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> and my journey was somewhat similar. Coming out of high school, my future mother-in-law said to me, have you ever thought of going to Bible school? When you do these devotions for the university group um, on Monday nights in our basement, I think I hear gift. That really kind of started a movement. I went home and told my parents and man, I got real resistance because I started by saying, well, I'm going to try out Bible school. I'm just going to go for a year or two and see how it goes. Got all kinds of resistance. And I guess got angry. And I just said, no, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to, I'm going to go. I'm going to do the whole thing, the whole thing. <laughs> and uh, that was a pivotal moment. I don't think I've ever made a, a, such a significant decision. And, and then two years later said, I'm going to change to this other school to finish my degree because I think that's a better school. And I ended up driving to attend school to the other end of the country. Ever since then, I have been able, because of those decisions, to make uh, difficult, sometimes courageous decisions for ministry, because uh, it started with those pivotal decisions years ago. Um, pivotal decisions change our life. Vicki, you're right. We make our decisions, and our decisions make us. I think we see that in the Bible. Certainly, I see that in the life of Abraham. We've been following his journey of faith, and it's been a significant journey. But, but I want to focus on a decision that made a huge difference in his life and a simultaneous decision that made a huge difference in the life of his nephew, Lot. Back in Genesis chapter 12, uh, God called Abraham to leave Haran and to go to a country that uh, God would tell him. And he had the faith to do that. That was a tremendous act of faith. We read then he took Lot along. So I have to assume that Lot had the faith also, as Abraham did, to leave everything. This was an initial joint act of faith. And as they got there, it was obvious that God was blessing them. Because in Genesis chapter 13, we have uh, what in my mind stands out as a pivotal moment. A, a scene where two men are standing on a hill making a decision that will change their destinies. Their flocks had grown. They needed to separate. And Abram, with a sign of tremendous generosity, let Lot pick whatever he wanted. And we read in Genesis 13, verse 10, Lot looked up and saw the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord. So Lot chose for himself that land. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And just so we know what decision he was making, Moses tells us in verse 13, Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So... 
Now, he would not have known that when he chose, though. Well, the narrator tells us he did. That he knew that? Well, yeah. It tells us that that was information he had. The narrator says, in order to understand the story, I need to tell you this detail, that the men of Sodom were wicked and were greatly sinning against the Lord. Oh, I thought he just chose it because it was wonderful, fertile land. It, yes, and it was wonderful, fertile land. So he was choosing to go for the gold, mm -hmm. even though it meant pitching his tent right near one of the most sinful cities ever known. And Abraham did not. Abraham, with the spirit of generosity, said, no, I'll trust that God will look after me and give me whatever I need. And their lives took very different paths. And the outcome of their lives would take very different paths. We've seen in the past few weeks that God took Abraham into a deeper level of faith, a deeper level of intimacy with himself. In fact, you, Nathan, you, I think you remember last week that there was a request that God made of Abraham that kind of uh, indicated the uh, intimate relationship that God was asking him to make. Do you remember that? Yes, I'm trying to think of something witty to say about circumcision, but it was circumcision. <laughs> I'm not as sharp as you can. I can't uh, cut these quips as quickly as you can. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, dear. So we have two men who made very different decisions. Abraham decided he wanted to pursue intimacy with God. He was on a very determined journey of faith. Lot, on the other hand, um, went to go for the gold. He wanted riches, even though it meant pitching his tent near that uh, evil city. So in, when we come to chapters 18 and 19, we see two very different pictures of these two men. We see how that early decision really caused a, a divergence in their relationship with God. In chapter 18, we read, the Lord appeared to Abram near the great trees of Mamre. And while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Vicky, who do you think those three men were that he saw that came to his tent? I think they were angels. I think uh, as he bows down and calls him Lord, I think even more than angels. I think this was the triune God. Sorry, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read ahead. I think God came. I think God came in full Trinity. You do? Really? I thought nobody had ever seen God before. And, I, and Abram responds by saying, we and I to have a meal. And he cooks up the best possible meal you can imagine for God, obviously. And notice he doesn't even sit down and eat with God. Because that would put him as an equal at the table. No. He has fellowship and intimacy with God. That is, um, that is amazing. And in the midst of that, God gives him reassurance. You remember what... Uh, Abram and Sarah wanted the most, right? Children. Uh, baby. Yeah. And God had promised that for years and years and years. And he gives him reassurance and says, next year, this is going to happen. Sarah laughed, but God said, no, it's, it's going to happen. They had, Abraham has fellowship. He has reassurance. And then in verse 16, 
we read that when the men got up to leave, they looked towards Sodom, and Abraham looked along with them to see them on their way. And then, notice Vicky, it says in verse 17, then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? So this is God. And he's saying, should I involve Abram as a partner in my work in the world? Should he be a fellow workman in the, in the task that I'm bringing about for humanity? And, and he did. He told him. The Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah was so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. And then the men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abram remained standing before the Lord. And then what happens next? Really strange scene. Did you notice that, Nathan? Abraham plays Let's Make a Deal with God. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that amazing? Yeah, the audacity. And he knows it. He knows it. The audacity to say, well, would you do it for 30? Uh, you know, he just keeps lowering the number. More and more. <laughs> right. He, start, um, he started, what, at 50? Right. And then 40, 30. And what's he get down to? 10. If there's only 10, will you? Notice God allows Abraham to have influence over the way in which God will work in the world. Isn't that amazing? There's only so many people that we allow to influence our major decisions and our actions in our life. Well, this wouldn't go well on Shark Tank. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't. You know, you go back and you ask them once or usually once, they, they don't like it. You go back twice, you're out of there. And he goes to the God of the universe and says, I've been bold, may I ask? And he keeps, you know, negotiating with him and God lets him do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like um, a scene out of the marketplace. You know, how much do you want for these dates? You know, 50, 50, maybe 40, 40, 30, 20, like they're, but God is, God is gracious. He says, yeah, I'll let you influence what I am doing. This speaks of, a, of an intimate relationship, doesn't it? Where God is, is partnering with his friend Abraham in his work in the world. Now let's shift focus. There were two men on the hill. They made a pivotal decision. If we look at Lot and, uh, and how God dealt with him and his re uh, Lot's relationship with God. In chapter 19, the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. So Abram got God and uh, bought God angels. That's interesting. When he saw them, he uh, uh, got up to meet them. Oh, by the way, he was sitting in the gateway of the city, which means he had some kind of... Leadership position? Yeah, some kind of status anyway. Um, I'm not going to say influence for what's coming, but, uh, but I will say at least some status. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down. Please turn aside to your house. and I'll let you uh, stay with me. And, and he does make a meal for them, but baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Interesting, two stories. There's meals served at both times. Abraham um, breaks out the best, and uh, Lot does quick bread. 
Here's some hot pockets. <laughs> Before they'd all gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom uh, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. This, uh, this kind of moral depravity didn't happen overnight. This didn't just happen that day. Which meant that... Uh, Lot was very comfortable sitting in the midst of sin. He had um, come to grips with it, and uh, he was happy living in the middle of it, presumably because he uh, he had made the money. Well, he could have just left. He could have just left. Of course, at any time. But it was a lush ground, and I think he was making good return on his investment. Right. And his solution? No, don't rape these men who have come. Instead, what's his solution? Have my daughters. Unbelievable solution. Yeah, rape my daughters. Like, does that... His, vir his virgin daughters. She's his young virgin daughter. daughters. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that speak to you of moral compromise? I mean, what kind of a father would, would think that's a solution? Do you think he's been affected by the, the city that he's been living in? <sighs> yeah, it's, gro it's, it's grotesque. It's ho horrific. It's absolutely horrific. It's mind, uh, mind numbing. Um, and then they said, uh, verse nine, get out of our way. They replied, this fellow came here as an alien and now he wants to play the judge. They will not, they will not listen to him. Abraham had lots of influence, but Lot has virtually no influence here. Not on his community. The angels said to Lot, we're going to get out of here. Get your sons-in-law your sons or daughters, anyone else in the city, get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot goes to his sons-in-law and, uh, and warns them. He said, look, these, uh, we've been told that the destruction is coming. Uh, we've got to run for our lives. And how did his sons-in-law respond? When did you get religion? <laughs> 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 they thought he was joking. He'd never brought up the subject before. He didn't talk about to them about the holiness of God and the judgment of God, or maybe he didn't talk to them about God at all. But in either case, he had virtually no influence over them. And it's maybe not surprising, because uh, when the uh, the two the angels urged Lot, saying, "Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished." We read in verse 16, Lot hesitated. <laughs> why would he have hesitated? Vicki, can you think of a reason why he would have hesitated when the angels told him destruction is coming? Well, he was an idiot, but probably <laughs> because his heart, his heart was so hardened and he had all of his money and his belongings and his history there, he didn't want to leave it. Right. I mean, gold is heavy. I mean, it's... It's not like, you know, take some banknotes and shove them in your pocket. Um, so, but to run means he was leaving it yeah. all behind. He hesitated and uh, the men forced them to leave. And these two angels who were calling them and warning them told them, don't look back, run for your life, run to the mountains. You need the safety and security of the mountains. <laughs> and Lot says what? Do I have to run that far? Can't I stay close? Why do you think he wanted to stay close? Well, because he wasn't working on his cardio, for one. 
<laughs> Probably so he could go back. Yeah. Right. Or maybe that land was also good. Again, I think he's making decisions based on gold. If I can't live in New York City, I'll live in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> and the angels said, okay. And they ran for their lives. You know what I find? One of the things I find so disturbing about this story is that Abraham, remember he negotiated with God? He had the influence with God and how God would work out his uh, work with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he got them down to what number? Ten. So ten. that means they couldn't even find ten. They couldn't find ten. In fact, his whole family, how big was his own family? Four. Two daughters. Plus two sons future son-in-laws. Yeah. Four. So he and his wife, that's six. Yeah. And they weren't exactly righteous. They, yeah. they hadn't touched four people. They had, and the sons wouldn't come. And his wife, what happened to her? Remember the famous account? Oh, absolutely. She, she insisted on looking back, and I guess it ticked them off, so they turned her into salt. Have you ever wondered why she was turned into a pillar of salt? No. Not garlic? Um, no. Well, they weren't running from vampires. <laughs> well, here's my guess. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that the Beatitude kind of people are to have an influence on the world. They are to be salt and light. The influence of salt is to preserve a society from going bad. The job of the Christian, according to Jesus, is that we are to have such a moral influence in our society that we're to we are to be preventing its slide into iniquity, just the way salt would keep fresh fish caught from rotting. We are to keep our society from rotting. And I think this could be, this is Kentology, not theology. But in Kentology, I think that this may be God saying, if you wouldn't be salt in that city you were in, I'll make you into salt. Hmm. I think it may be an image. But that's not the worst of it. The worst impact of this decision that was made, this pivotal decision, when the two men stood on the hill and decided the direction their life would be going, the worst part was in their legacy. I mean, if I look back at chapter 18, you know, you, you left a part out, Kent. It said, Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew the cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities. Imagine the screaming and the sounds, but also imagine the smell. Have you ever smelled sulfur? I've, uh, I never even thought about the smell before. Well, I'll tell you, I was down in, in New York City around 9-11 time, and the the rubble from the trade towers uh, was burning for, I think, about six months, maybe three months. I, I don't know. Uh, I was down there often, and uh, you could smell it. The, the smell of the whole city was horrendous. And I remember uh, we were there a, a day or two after uh, it had all happened, and we were praying with people, and... Uh, I said to one of my friends who was an EMT worker at the time, I said, you know, like I can, I can pick out these smells. I can smell fire. I can smell 
I can even tell what the jet fuel smell is. Um, I, I can't figure out what this other smell is. And he says, that's bodies. That's what you're smelling. And it, it was horrifying, just just awful. And I mean, we could get on a train and go back up, go back home and then come back down next weekend to pray with more people. But to live there and to smell that for months on end, um, mm. just, uh, you're right, Vicki, what, what a nightmare. What an absolute nightmare. Mm. But what I find perhaps most devastating about the decisions that uh, came as a result of when those two men were standing on a hill is that for Abraham, because of his choice to pursue his journey of faith with God, God said in chapter 18, verse 18, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. Isn't that an amazing legacy? Now, again, because these stories are contrasted, flip back with me to chapter 19. And we read, starting in verse 30, that after the devastation of the fire and the destruction of those cities, Lot and his two daughters settled in the mountains because he was afraid to stay in Zor because of what he saw and smelled. And he and his two daughters lived in the cave. And you know the story. The daughters wanted family. I was just reading this story again. And they got their father drunk. And Lot, drunk, as vile as it is, slept with his daughters. And they became pregnant by their father. And we read such a contrasting story or outcome compared to Abraham. We read in verse 37, the older daughter had a son. She named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites today. The younger daughter also had a son. She named him Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the Ammonites today. And how would you describe those nations, the Moabites and the Ammonites? Brutal and sadistic. And Even today? Well, till they became absorbed in other nations. Ah but throughout the whole history of Israel. They were a thorn in Israel's side. They were an evil, wicked people. So what was their legacy? What did they leave behind? Absolute wicked moral depravity. Two men standing on a hill, making a decision that would change the course of their lives. What happened? When Abram chose the Lord, what happened when he decided to deeply commit himself to the Lord? He enjoyed intimacy, blessing, partnership with God, influence, and a godly legacy that will last for eternity. But that's only possible if we join Abraham on his journey of faith, only if we're willing to go deeper and deeper into our level of commitment with God. Superficial won't do it. Total commitment to God leads to total intimacy with God. Nathan, this just reminds me of that poem we talked about earlier. You know, the one that uh, Wilbur Reese wrote in his book, Three Dollars Worth of God? Yeah, we've adapted it a little bit here, but it reads, I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep 
but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a minority or pick beets with a farmhand. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Hmm. Now, God wants us to be the bride of Christ. And a marriage, a marriage that works, on the altar there's a full total commitment and a journey of intimacy and relationship that has to continue. And as it is in marriage, so it is in our relationship with God. Vicki, can you remind us what Jesus said about uh, people making a commitment to follow him in Luke 14? Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to him said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. Which is obviously hyperbole, but it is definitely saying that our allegiance should be first and foremost to the Lord. Yeah. Commitment to God is the requirement for intimacy with God. And it's only when we deeply commit ourselves to the Lord that we will enjoy the intimacy, the blessing, the partnership, influence, and godly legacy that he gave to Abraham and he longs to give to you. When we decide to follow the Lord, it changes us. It changes us on the inside. It changes our future, our relationships, and the future of our family for generations. It's a benefit to enjoy a godly legacy. I trust that today's discussion of God's Word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's Word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more or to support the work of this ministry, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by sharing it on social media and telling your friends. Tune in next Friday as we continue our discussion through the book of Genesis and discover how believers should treat people outside of the faith. Be sure to join us.